started to get stuck into it. But I wanted to start off and tell you all a story that starts with camping. Yeah. Taking a leaf out of Pastor Charles's book, we went camping. Can I just say, we did not camp before we came to this church. We were the, probably, probably the type of people who, if you'd asked us if we wanted to camp, we thought, you can go camp, we'll get a cabin. But we're campers now, it's been a few years, but we went camping a few weeks ago. You might remember, I think it was about four weeks ago, there was a weekend and it was raining on the Friday, the Saturday and the Sunday, all weekend long, and we were in a tent. It was my husband's birthday and he wanted to go, so we just continued and we went. But um, the story is actually about running. Another thing I didn't do before I came to this church. <laughs> so now I am a camper and I'm a runner. Look out if you don't want any of those things to come to you. So at the back of this campsite, there was a trail run that I'd heard about, a track you can walk it, you can run it. But I was excited to give it a go and run it. It had been raining all day, but I thought if I don't do it, I am going to regret it. So I took off as soon as the rain stopped for just a second and I went on this run. Now there was rocks all across the ground you had to run on. It had been wet, so I was trying to be really careful. There was mud, there was fallen trees across the path. But then I came to a river crossing. It was just a little one. There was a few rocks I could kind of step across and I got to the other side. It was fine. I kept going on my run. Next, I came to another river crossing. This time, it was a bit deeper, maybe about half, half a metre or so, which doesn't sound that bad, but I had to get really wet, get my legs in. There was still some rocks I could help to hold on to to get myself across. But I got across the second river, nailed it. Then, you know where this is going, I got to the next river crossing, number three. This time, it wasn't a nice little creek, it was a gushing river. And by gushing, I mean I couldn't even hear the sound of my own voice when I was trying to talk. It was so loud. I was looking, I wanted to get across because I wanted to go and finish this trail. I was excited to do this run. So I was looking across, you know, you kind of scan, is there a section, are there some rocks, how can I get across? And at the top of the river, because it had this big, higher section, and then it dropped down, including like a big waterfall, into another section. So at the top, there were these big, flat kind of rock beds. So I started walking across those. I thought, this is okay, I can see a bit of a way. But I got to this point, and there was a few metres, and I couldn't see how I was going to get across. There was a, a log kind of sticking out, but I thought, how am I going to do this? I don't want to miss out. I want to get across to the other side of the trail, but I also don't want to go... And, in the waterfall and, you know, be swept away. And all of a sudden, I look up and I see this man on the other side of the river. Don't worry, it wasn't weird or anything. He was just another fellow. <laughs> he was another fellow trail runner. And he could see my confusion. I don't know what I looked like, but he probably thought this girl doesn't know anything. And he began to yell out, again, because the water was so loud, but he began to yell out, Grab a hold, stretch out to that log, grab a hold of it, pull yourself up and then, you know, jump onto the riverbank. Too easy. But you know what? Him telling me the way to do it, he had done it before. He gave me the confidence to do it. So I jumped across and I continued on my run. I didn't have to look back, but I could go ahead to the other side and enjoy the trail that was ahead of me. If he hadn't have been there, I would have turned around and I would have missed out on what was ahead. The title of my message today, if you're taking notes, is When Following Jesus Isn't Following Jesus. 
cryptic. You'll have to wait and see what that means. <laughs> and also, I'll come back to the story a bit later on. So, I want to encourage you to open up your Bibles today to the book of Mark, chapter 5. It's an amazing passage. There is a lot in it. Um, I'm just going to pray a little bit later. I'm going to pray now because I need God to help me. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this opportunity this morning to come around your word. We thank you that your word is living and active. It's powerful. It's that encouraged to teach us, to correct us, Lord God. And we just give you this time here this morning. God, I pray that you would settle my spirit and my words will be your words, Lord God. That your words and your truth would fall on ears and hearts that are ready to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. So before we get to Mark chapter 5, Jesus and his disciples had been teaching people about the kingdom of God. Jesus talked about things like the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's very, very tiny and seems insignificant, but it grows into something of huge proportions. And the day comes to a close and I'm sure the disciples just wanted to chill out, watch some Netflix, but Jesus said, no, let's go to the other side of the lake. This lake was not an ordinary lake. It was the sea, what they call the Sea of Galilee, and it was huge, a huge place. And as they go across the sea, a storm raises up and Jesus speaks to the wind and waves and he calms them and shows his power over nature. And this is just before we get to Mark chapter 5. So in verse 1, it says that they are going across to the other side of the lake, the region of the Gerasenes. Now, this wasn't a Jewish area. It was a Greek-speaking Gentile area. Jewish people had nothing to do with them. Jesus had been in Capernaum. He'd been in the town teaching, ministering to the Jewish people. The other side of the lake was different from their own. Yet, Jesus said, let's go to the other side. It's the first time we read in Mark that Jesus goes into a Gentile region. So we know that this story is going to be really significant. So they land there. They don't arrive at the docks or have a welcome party to greet them, a little cafe. No, they arrive at the cemetery. Hello. So we are going to read. It's long, verses 1 to 20, but stay with me. It's going to be up behind you. So, verse 1. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Verse 6. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For God, Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank 
into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. There is a lot in that passage. And as I was reading it, I had a few questions that really stood out to me. And so we're going to go through three of those today together. The first question that came up to me was, why did he go all the way across to the other lake? You know, after this passage, he just goes straight back to where he came from. This is not his home field. We read in the passage there are pig farmers here. For Jewish people, eating pork was prohibited. We read that in the book of Leviticus. Why is he going to an area where there's thousands of pigs? It says that upon Jesus getting out of the boat, a man with an unclean spirit comes up to him. That's kind of just a nice way of saying he was crazy. He was demon-possessed. But as we read it, it's like... It's an interruption to something else that's about to happen. There's a story that's going to happen. There's a mission that Jesus has gone to do. But this man just comes up in his face right when he gets out of the boat. In the book of Luke, it has the same story. And it says that the man was naked. What a welcome. It says also the man had been demon-possessed for a long time, wore no clothes and lived like a subhuman or a wild animal. It says he lived among the decaying and the dead, had supernatural strength. He was tormented and self-destructive, crying out and cutting himself with stones. He had uncontrollable behaviour. Behavior. Mark says that nobody could suppress the strength of this man. It says he ripped the chains apart and broke the shackles. People had tried to restrain him. I wonder why. Was he a danger to other people? Was he a danger to himself? Did they just chain him up and leave him? We don't know the answer to these questions, but people like this were often forced out of their homes and villages and the only place where they could find shelter was in the graveyard because there were these tombs that were like caves. It was the only place that they could stay. David Guzik, one commentator, says that we can be sure he did not start out this way. At one time, the man lived among others in the village, but his own irrational, wild behaviour convinced the villagers that he was demon-possessed, or at least insane. They bound him with chains to keep him from hurting others, and he broke the chains time and time again. Finally, they drove him out of town, and he lived in the village cemetery, a mad man among the tombs, hurting the only person he could, himself. This man-man was a complete and total mess. He was so broken, he was damaged, unloved, lonely, isolated and untouchable and so far from God, it seemed. I wonder the last time that anyone had treated this man like a human being or the last time he'd had human contact. We just get this picture 
of a broken, suffering man. Could it be that Jesus went all the way across the lake just for him? In verse 6, we read that as the demons see Jesus, they immediately recognize him and they bow to his authority. This man who can't be contained falls on his knees at the feet on his knees at the feet of Jesus. It had just said earlier that no one could stand against his man, against this man, and now he's at the feet of Jesus, like the wind and waves that stopped at the sound of his voice. And when Jesus asked the spirit to come out of the man, they try and negotiate with Jesus. So Jesus says to them, "What is your name?" And the man replies. My name is Legion, for we are many. And it wasn't about just the name, it was about a number. So the name Legion was recognised as a division of soldiers. I couldn't find an exact number, but it was in the thousands. Some commentaries I read said up to 6,000 was recognised as a Roman legion of soldiers. Perhaps he has this name and it's named in the Bible so we can see the extent of the demons in this man's being. We might hear, oh, the man was demon-possessed, and you know, it sounds pretty bad, but possessed by thousands of demons. It's just this image of a hostile army that is bent on destruction. The word legion was political, because just like the Jewish areas that Jesus had come from, this Gentile area had also been invaded by the Romans, the same Romans who ruled them with violence and fear. So this name, legion, it conjured up a vision of terror and death and destruction, And the demons were trying to intimidate Jesus. So they plead to be let sent into the pigs. Jesus gives them permission and they enter the pigs. The heat stampedes off the steep bank into the water and then they're drowned. And we see that the intention of these demons was destruction. If they couldn't kill the man, they were going to kill these animals. But is there somewhere else in the Bible where we've read about the destruction of an enemy in the sea. The exodus. And just like that, what we are seeing here is that in spite of the power and might of the demons, just like Pharaoh had over the Israelites, God delivers his people. And there is no contest between the power of God and the power of the enemy. Just like in the exodus, The powerful enemy is defeated and the oppressed are delivered. God does an amazing thing here through Jesus and delivers the man of his demons. He shows him grace and mercy and heals him. He meets the man where he's at in his suffering and heals him. The man wasn't in a Jewish area. He didn't walk right up into a synagogue. His friends didn't come and tell Jesus to come and heal him. He didn't start trying to work on himself first, but Jesus came to him. It seems the reason that Jesus went across the lake was for this one man, across the waters to a foreign region, even to a graveyard. Jesus is taking the fight to the enemy because he came to deliver people out of darkness. This man wasn't an interruption to the mission. This man was the mission. So... The people see what has happened and they go and tell the people in the town and the countryside. And the second question that came up for me was, why were the people so afraid and asked Jesus to leave? Surely they could see he's just healed a man. 
But it says they're afraid. Maybe they're afraid of his power. They don't want him to destroy other things. There was something about that miracle that got them uneasy. Maybe it was about the pigs. In verse 13, it said that the pigs were 2,000 in number. That's a lot of pigs. It's a lot of bacon. Just keeping you all awake. So these pigs were their livelihood. It was their herd. And it was such a big herd, it probably didn't belong to just one person. In fact, it may have belonged to the whole herd of the whole village. So they come out and to see what's happened to their pigs. But all of a sudden, what do they see? They see the man who'd been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Whatever they knew of him before... Now they're in shock at the sight of him sitting sane at the feet of Jesus. Before his life was like a living death, he was literally surrounded by death, living in, this, in these tombs. But now that's all gone and he's sitting like a normal person at the feet of Jesus. He was just possessed by thousands of demons just a minute ago and now he's set free but they're afraid. They seem more afraid of the possessed man, uh, the free man than they were of the possessed man. Before he was just up in the cemetery somewhere, but now he's sitting free and they're afraid. You see, Jesus was disrupting their normal way of life, their status quo, the way they went about their day-to-day things. Now, I don't know what they did back then, but you know, for us today, it's like we get up early for work, we get ready, or we take the kids to school go to the gym, get dinner ready, bedtime routine. You know, I love to have everything in order. I like to have a routine and a plan and everything can fit in that routine. Is there anyone else? It's just me, maybe three. But, you know, I love having a routine. But maybe the people here were happy with the way things were. Perhaps they were comfortable. And Jesus came in and he disrupted their way of life. I don't know, you know, looking at it today and reading this passage, I just see this amazing miracle that God's performed. Can't they see this transformation? And, you know, I think sometimes for us we hear these amazing stories about what God has done in someone's life, how he's turned them around and they were this person and now they're this person and it's amazing. You know, it's inspiring when you hear those stories and we think, you know, God, I want to be a part of that. Work in me, Jesus. Mold me. Crush me, Lord. Use me for your glory. We want to see your goodness, God. We want to see your power. We want to see all of your wonders. But the way in which Jesus works isn't always packaged up and slotted into our schedule at the exact time and in the exact way that we want it to. Why were the people afraid and asked him to leave? Because he was disrupting their normal way of life and challenging their belief systems, and they didn't know what to do with that. You know, a few months ago I shared on a Sunday morning and I told you a bit about um, our new neighbours. So they moved in about, it was about 18 months ago now, and... um, I think I shared about how it was, you know, a bit of a... They moved in, they were a bit different to us. Different culture, different nationality, different religion. And 
Um, normally your neighbours, you don't always have, have to talk to your neighbours, you know, you might not have the driveway on the same side and that type of thing. But our neighbours, well, we kind of had to get to know them because our um, deck was right next to like the fence and the kids would just pop right over the fence. So they were in our lives whether we liked it or not. But over the last year or so, we have developed such a great friendship with our neighbours. They are a big part of our lives every day. Our kids talk about them um, and we've had a lot of fun with them. We had... Um, Seven kids, our kids and their kids, seven kids all together in our kitchen yesterday making cupcakes. It was chaotic, but it was really fun. And I think through growing in this friendship with our neighbours, you know, it's been a big reminder to us that being loved by God doesn't mean you have to look a certain way. That Jesus came for everyone to seek and save all people who are far from him. I'm just being honest here this morning. You know, but sometimes there's been some challenges, you know. To be honest, maybe I've got, again, going back to my routine, I've got my routine planned and, you know, the kids might want to come over and play or the mum might want to have a chat with me. That doesn't fit in my routine. This is real life. (laughs) It doesn't. We might sit down and try and have our dinner in peace and all of a sudden they're popping up over the fence like whack-a-mole. Just one, another one, there's another one. You can't keep up with them. They're always there. But I tell you what, it's been the biggest blessing. Now, I don't know about you, but I think sometimes we might say, not actually say, but deep down say prayers like, God, maybe bring some people into my life. I'm happy to share them your good news with them. But, you know, maybe we can kind of be on the same wavelength, like the same headspace. Um, you know, it's just kind of e- easy to talk into talking to them, you know, those type of people, they can... Um, you know, sit and play nicely with my kids and it will all be lovely and bring some of those people into my life. God, I'll witness to those people. But I think this quote by John Piper sums it up beautifully. When we love people, we want for them more than anything else the joy of knowing God as Saviour in Jesus Christ. And when we love God, we want nothing more than that His glory be known and enjoyed and magnified by the salvation of as many people as possible. What if our lives look different? What if our church community look different to what we expect? Are we open to his plan, whatever it looks like? So jumping back into the passage, Jesus does leave as the people have asked him to, but before he does, he does one significant thing, which is where I want to land this today. You know, eight times in the book of Mark, people beg Jesus to do things, for him to do things for them. And seven times out of those eight, Jesus does it and they receive what they asked. The one time that Jesus denies a request, it's in the case of this man. Verse 18 says, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon possessed begged to go with him. The true change in his heart was shown by his desire to be with Jesus. And it seems like a reasonable request, right? Following God is what Scripture tells us to do. Why would Jesus, this is my third question, why would Jesus ask somebody not to follow him? Verse 19 says, Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people. And tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. He tells him to go and share all that God has done for him. 
And it's kind of odd because previously in the book of Mark, Jesus is constantly telling people to be quiet about what he's done, about the miracles. Because you see, the Jews had all of these expectations about what the Messiah would do, that he would be a royal figure to come and set up a kingdom here on earth. He didn't want people to misunderstand what it meant for him to be the Messiah. So when he heals a man of leprosy or raises a girl from the dead, he tells them to be quiet, don't tell anybody. But now he says to this man, go and tell everyone. And do you know why? This area wasn't a Jewish area. Jesus didn't have the same problem of these Jewish leaders causing him trouble. When the man says, can I come with you? Jesus says, no, go home and tell all that God has done for you. To follow Jesus, but not follow Jesus. It's the title. This man is the first missionary to the Gentiles that we read about in Scripture. And what was his qualification? A bachelor in ministry? Diploma of theology? No. It was simply his testimony that once he was in darkness, but now he is in the light. Spurgeon says it like this. He he who had been demon-possessed, that is a striking name for a man, he who had been possessed with the devil, it would stick to him as long as he lived. And it would be a standing sermon wherever he went. He would be asked to tell the story of what he used to be and how the change came about. What a story for any man to tell. And it says that the man obeys what Jesus has asked of him and proclaims what Jesus has done throughout the Decapolis. And this was 10 important cities, Greek Gentile cities, new territory, ground not yet exposed to or heard of the kingdom that Jesus was bringing. Jesus goes all the way across this lake to this one man, not just to heal him, but so this man might share and preach the gospel to a new audience. Jesus said no to the man's request so that he could be a light among the people of these Gentile cities in a way that Jesus and the disciples could not. His story showed the value of one life to Jesus because this was the only reason why Jesus came to this side of the Sea of Galilee. His story shows that with Jesus, no one is beyond hope because if he could be changed, then anyone could. You know, what God has done in our lives is amazing and that's why we're here today worshipping together. But He's done these works in us, not that we, not just that we might have this freedom and experience it, but we can go forth and share it with others. You see, it's all for the kingdom of God. It's not for us to build up our own kingdom and have a life that's nice and sweet and kind of easy, but it's to build His kingdom that His kingdom would grow and extend and more people would come to know this love and freedom that we've found. You know, I love being in God's presence when we're in church on a Sunday morning or if I've got having my worship time at home, I just often think, I just want to stay here. This is so good. I feel so inspired and I feel loved. I feel known. 
But just as Jesus did for this man, He also asks us to go home to our people, to our circle of influence and tell them what God has done for you. Following Jesus is about obedience. It's about going where He has asked us to go or staying where He has placed you. When we're in places that are uncomfortable, this is where we grow. Maybe it's when you're walking with a friend through a really difficult season and you have to learn how to be patient and humble and show them God's grace. Maybe it's with people who, like our neighbours, don't look like you, but you love anyway. These are the times when we're stretched and challenged and made more like Jesus. And this is what we miss out on when we choose to stay in our place of comfort. But so much more importantly than that, Others are missing out on hearing the good news of the gospel when we stay in our place of comfort. Just like my story at the start about my run. The man who told me how to get across the river, how to get onto the trail, he'd done it before. And we found out later that he'd been running for 18 kilometres. He would have been tired. Maybe he just wanted to go home. But he stopped and he helped me. When was the last time that you went out and told someone how much God had done for you? Now, it doesn't necessarily mean standing on a street corner preaching. It might mean telling someone how God has answered your prayer. How during a difficult time you felt God's peace come upon you and it helped you through. It's just like the demon-possessed man. People knew him as one thing, but then all of a sudden he was something else. We were this person but now we are this person. We were there, but now we're here. And we share from that experience. We are the witness. And you don't know what is on the other side of you telling how much God has done for you. Just like the man that was demon-possessed, our qualification to witness is our testimony, just sharing what God has done in our lives. So this week, I just want to encourage you to be intentional in your interactions with people. Take a step of faith. You might be doing your standard, hello, how are you to someone, but stop and listen to their response. Lean in. Go for a walk around your neighbourhood. If you go down to the gym or play sports, look out for people that you can talk to. Eat lunch with someone different at work. There's so many ways we can meet and get to know those who don't know God. And, you know, sometimes you think, oh, I have to go out and do all this stuff. It's too much. I can't do it. But you know what? God has put the people in your life who He wants you to connect with. And often, even though they might be different from you, you have this, you do have an ease in connecting with them because God has put them there because they uniquely fit with who you are and who God has created you to be. As you step out, it will amaze you how much Christ still loves to seek and save the lost through you. And it's really humbling. I'll just share a quick story before I finish. Um, About a month ago, we had our our Sunday night 5pm service and I was able to share my personal testimony. It was not easy and it was very uncomfortable, but I shared and um, we've got this friend and she is not really interested in the church um, not that they've been hurt or anything, but just um, 
doesn't line up with what they believe and they don't really want anything to do with God. They're happy to discuss it and everything, but they're very, very set in their ways. And it's one of those people who, you know, and I probably sound here like I don't have much faith, but you know, you have those people in your life and you think, I don't know how like they could find God. I think God would have to strike them with a lightning bolt or come down and appear to them in a vision and then maybe they would be able to see God. But I can't see in my human mind how they could come to see God. And this person wasn't hit by a lightning bolt, thank goodness. But what happened is, well, they didn't come to church that night. But because of our friendship and our relationship, she listened to my story. And before it was like she had, you know, her back up against, not the wall, but against God was over there and she didn't want anything to do with God. And then after hearing my story, she's, began to turn around and it's one of those people you just could never even imagine and it's been amazing because you see they had these preconceived notions about God and about Christians even though we've been friends for years but as she heard my story she couldn't reconcile those with my reality of what God has done in my life that's the power of sharing what God has done so Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee to the region of the Gerasenes and it was 100% intentional. This region had no experience or knowledge of the new kingdom he was bringing in. And while Jesus and his disciples had devoted themselves to the lost sheep of Israel, Jesus had a heart for the Gentiles across the sea. So he intentionally crossed the lake. He met this man and healed him. When the man wanted to follow Jesus back to Galilee, Jesus said, no, stay here. Follow me, but stay here. Share your story with your own people. You can reach them just as you are. You are qualified. Be my witness here. Go home and tell them how much the Lord has done for you.